Good morning, everybody. We are talking this morning about transformers, making a lasting difference. And as you take your Bibles this morning, get ready to go in the Word of the Lord. I just want to challenge you this morning with this thought. Every person born is born for significance. And if we would understand that, if we would really get a hold of that, our lives would make a lasting difference. We wouldn't just settle for going through life and kind of just showing up and phoning it in, but we really would say, you know what, I am somebody who God created that was, was, there was a divine destiny placed down inside of me, and when I begin to understand that, I begin to live in a different way. And so I want us just to kind of have that mindset today as we go into the Word of the Lord. Take your Bibles, go to the book of 1 Corinthians, if you would, and as you're doing that, let me greet those who are joining us today. Uh, we trust that your praise and worship has gone great this morning and that God's touched your life already, uh, but we're believing also that as I preach the Word of God today, that your life is going to be touched and you're going to be encouraged and strengthened uh, wherever you are today as the power of God ministers there in that campus. The book of 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, if you'll look there, I, I want to talk this morning on this subject here we're talking about transformers making a lasting difference and here's the subject today I want to talk about defeating spiritual racism wow it gets quiet I, I want to talk about defeating spiritual racism now I, I'm going to kind of explain that as we go along this morning uh, but let me say I'm, I'm probably going to take a little different turn than what you're thinking initially but let me say I believe that according to the word of God that any racism is wrong any form of racism or sexism or ageism or any other isms you probably can come up with uh, are, are wrong. And so as believers, uh, we, we cannot settle for racism in any shape, form, uh, that, that whether it's, it's by, uh, you know, color or any of those kind of things, that, that it is not of the Lord and that it is not something that God has called us to. And as believers, we've got to flee from that. In fact, we've got to take a stand against that. That was a great place for a real strong amen. We need to take a stand against racism in any form. Now today I'm going to be talking out of 1 Corinthians and probably showing it just a little bit differently. Would you look there in the ninth chapter, excuse me, the ninth verse of the fifth chapter? And here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world. Or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. He goes on to say, not even to eat with such a person. That's a pretty strong stand. For what have I to do with judging those who are also are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. The book of 1 Peter, the second chapter, the ninth verse, and if you just want to listen, says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Word of God says there that we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 
Now, as we talk today about defeating spiritual racism, what I want to spend time is, is, is an understanding of what spiritual racism is. I, I looked up the word race, and, and here's what the dictionary says about race. It says, any geographical, national, or tribal ethnic grouping. Geographical, national, or tribal ethnic grouping. The Bible says that we are a new nation in Christ Jesus. So when I become a Christian, I am in a sense a different race than what I used to be. That, that's why it's interesting that, that there's racism in the church. Listen, we all have one father, God above, and we all have one mother, which is the church. And, and so it doesn't matter what color we are. In fact, the apostle Paul said there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no Gentile, uh, th- there's no free, there's no bond. Uh, he said there's no male, there's no female in the body of Christ because he said we are all one. We've come together in unity. But when we look at this passage of Scripture, what we are finding is, is a sense within the Word of God that the Corinthian church had become a group of spiritual racists. Uh, now, they weren't in the sense of, of against uh, uh, different ethnic groups. They were in the sense of they had become so isolationist that they didn't have anything to do with anybody that wasn't a Christian. And the Apostle Paul had written to them, and he said, now look, Here's here's what I want you to understand, that when you get saved, when you come to Jesus Christ, you are to leave the world and you're to flee some things. Amen. All right? The day you get saved, you shouldn't live the same way tomorrow that you did the day before. You you shouldn't go to work the same way. Am, Am I all right this morning? I mean, when you get saved, there ought to be some changes happening in your life. There ought to be some things that are taking place that you are laying down some things, you're picking up some other things, you're living uh, in, a, in a different way. But the Word of God here talks to this church at Corinth and says, wait a minute, you have come to the place that you don't understand that when I wrote to you about these things that I wasn't saying to be an isolationist. He said, I, what I was saying to you is this, is that you've got to come to that place of understanding the difference in being in the world and not of the world. Now, so, some Christians call, uh, you know, they, they get so insulated uh, that, and they call it spirituality. It really isn't spirituality. What it really is is spiritual racism. Anytime that you look down on somebody else for whatever the reason is, it's wrong. It's wrong. Let me, let me just say it again. It is wrong. In fact, racism always is out of fear. It, it, it's just out of fear. It's fear of the unknown. It's fear of a different culture. It's fear of a different group of people. It's fear. And, and instead of dealing with the fear, we raise up prejudice. And so not only is that in the natural happening, it also happens in the spiritual. That, that as believers, once we get saved, once we begin to walk with God, uh, then, then all of a sudden we become so insulated against the world that we no longer have any relations with the world and we no longer are involved with the world. Uh, if you were to begin to count up your friends today, if you've been saved for a very long time, if you would begin to count up your friends today, I wonder how many of those would just be really good unbelievers. I mean, think about that a minute. Uh, the, the national statistic is this, is that after a person is saved for two years, they do not have any unbelievers in their lives. 
Now think about that. That doesn't mean you don't work for somebody. It means as far as the people you spend time with, the people you run around with, etc. Now, now I understand. Please listen carefully to what pastor is preaching this morning. I do understand that when you get saved, you build a whole new network of friends, and you need to. You need the fellowship. You need the care of what new friends will bring into your life. But having said that, that does not mean that everybody in your past needs to be kicked to the curb. Because the only way that God is going to be able to touch them and to minister in their life is for you to be involved in their life. And and so for us to defeat spiritual racism, we've got to make some changes. And so I want want to talk about how that we go about impacting all unbelievers as as God has called us to. And and so how how do we do that? What what do we do and how do we live that way? Look in verse 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul said, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, verse 10. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Now here's what he's saying. Number one, the first thing that we have to do is that we have to communicate our concern to them as a person. You've got to let people know that you are concerned about them. It's a cliche, but it's a great cliche because it really is true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's why people respond better to somebody who they have a relationship with than they do somebody who's standing on the street corner trying to give them a track. Why? Because all of a sudden they understand that there is somebody who cares about them. I mean, you know, we we, kind of look at that and we say, well, I I don't believe that's the way it ought to be. Have you ever read the life of Jesus? I mean, have you you ever really studied the life of Jesus? Now, what would Jesus do? Watch this. The the Word of God tells us that Jesus is is on the road one day and he's got all the disciples with him. He's got the whole entourage going with him and and they're, they're, they're serious business and they're moving down the road. And, and there's this huge group that's behind him, and, and Jesus just stopped. I mean, he, everybody's following, and they've got a destination, they're going somewhere. And all of a sudden, Jesus just stops, and he looks up into a tree. And when he looks up into the tree, he says, Zacchaeus, come down, for today I must go to your house. You should have heard the talk in the crowd. I mean, the whispers in the crowd at that moment, because you got to understand who Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus was the biggest crook in the county. Now, he was the tax collector. Now, I know we have trouble with IRS, but this is, this, this is IRS on steroids. I mean, in that day, what they would do is they would charge you what the Roman government did, and then they'd put anything on there they wanted to and take anything they wanted because that's how they made their money. And so Zacchaeus was a crook. I mean, he was rotten to the core. And Jesus just shows up, and he stops the whole procession, and he looks up into the tree, and he doesn't start condemning. What he does is he says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. And they go and they have a big feast and they're eating. And, and nowhere in there does it say, and Jesus stopped and said, Zacchaeus, you are a sinner. It doesn't say that he stopped and said, Zacchaeus, let me explain to you the Roman road. Romans 3, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6. I mean, he, he, 
But it says that while the meal is going on and coming to a a conclusion, it says that Zacchaeus jumps up and he says, everything I've stolen, I'm going to restore back fourfold. And he said, I'm going to just give away my wealth. I'm going to bless everybody else. And why? Because Jesus had related to him as a human being. How often we miss that. How often we approach people with a sense of that we are better than they are just simply because we're saved and they're lost. And I want to tell you that's spiritual racism. It is wrong for you to look at anybody else and look down your nose at them simply because you know Jesus and they don't yet. God has called us to love people. I mean, he befriended Matthew. You, you look, you, in fact, if you, look, if you were to look at the, what we call the 12 apostles, that's a, that's a motley crew, and I'm not talking about a singing group. I mean, that's, that, that's a bunch of people that, that uh, I, I mean, you know, you, you've got Peter that he's going to lie when it's convenient. You've got Thomas that is the most negative human being on the face of the earth. He doubts everything. You, you've got Simon who's a terrorist blowing up stuff. Bible says he's Simon the Zealot. Go read what that means. It means he was a terrorist against the Roman Empire. I, I mean, you, you just go through the whole process there, and, and yet Jesus picked the, I mean, he handpicked these guys. I'm looking at it going, couldn't you have got a better bunch? But there was something that he saw in each of them, and he affirmed who they were so that he would in just a few short years, three and a half years, impart to them such a radical discipleship that every one of them gave their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I want to tell you, that, that is respecting who a person is and moving them. I, I mean, you know, you ever read the, the story where Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria? And, and he gets there, and the disciples go into town to buy some food, and, and Jesus is sitting there, and this woman comes to the well, and, and, um, and they have this, started having this discourse, and Jesus said, give me to drink. And, and she said, uh, what are you doing talking to me? Because if you think racism is rampant in our society, you ought to have seen the racism in that day. The Jewish people hated Samaritans. They wouldn't speak to them. And, and understand, I'm going to say this, they wouldn't spit on them if they were on fire. I mean, they hated them. And, and yet Jesus said, I've got to go there. And then Jesus starts this discourse with this lady. And, and uh, that's probably the wrong word. It's probably not, she wasn't a lady. But anyway... I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, the, the, the process is they, they begin this discourse, and Jesus said, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me to give you a drink. And she looks and says, who do you think you are? This well is deep, and you don't have a bucket. Right? And, and, and he said, I can give you water that, you, that you'll never thirst again. And she said, I am sick and tired of coming to this well. Would you please give me that water? Right? And, and so in that process, and then he looks at her, and watch what he says. I love Je- Jesus. is so cool. He, 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 he just kind of talks, and he's, he's affirming her, and he's kind of helping her, and they get in this little spiritual discourse about where you worship and all this stuff. And then he, he just in a moment changes, and he says, uh, go bring your husband. She goes, uh, <clears throat> I don't have one. He says, you are right. And saying you don't have one. He said, in fact, you've had five and you're shacking up with an old boy right now. All right, King James doesn't say that, but I say that. All right. 
And, and, and it's always interesting to me, and I've, I've referred to this before, but it's always interesting to me after, after she gets saved and her life gets turned around, the, the, the Bible says she goes to the city and she tells all the men. And it says all the men came to, anyway, y'all, y'all can do as well what you need to. Uh, but but there's, there's something about this that Jesus is approaching them uh, every per, as a person. He, he's not approaching them as a less than, all right? And so if we are really going to make an impact, if we're really going to be transformers, making a difference in people's lives, we've got to approach them as people. You know, here's the thing about it. We should not be surprised when unbelievers act like one. Why is it that it, it blows your mind when, when unbelievers use words that aren't Sunday school words? I mean, I, I, people be talking to me, and they will fly out with stuff, and, and I'll be on a plane, and, and they'll be talking, they'll be using, you know, choice words, and, and, and then they'll, they'll finally look at me and say, um, uh, and what do you do? <laughs> and it's according to what kind of mood I'm in. Uh, you know, I can, I can be a life coach, I can be a communicator, or if they've just really gotten on my nerves, I'm a preacher. <laughs> and it, and it's, really, it's really interesting at that moment, <clears throat> they, they, their, their whole verbiage, I, I had this happen to me not long ago. I was on a flight, and it was delayed, and I was sitting there. We sat on the tarmac for three hours, and, and, and I was by this guy. And, and he, man, he was, he was upset, and he was every other word was, you know, I won't use them, but you know what the words are. Some of you act like you're so sanctified you've forgotten you haven't. <laughs> They're still up there. And, and he was using several of them. And finally, he asked the question, what do you do? And I told him. And all of a sudden, his whole conversation started, he started talking to me about the church he went to and how, how involved he was in church. And I'm just cracking up because I think it's the, it's the funniest thing I've had happen in a while. And, 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 and yet, I wasn't surprised at that guy because, you know, it's just who he was. And, and, and so we, we, we need to get a hold of that. See, what, what we've got to do is when those kind of happenings take place in our life, our response has got to be for the worthiness of the person. They are worthy in God's sight. And I need to treat them as though that they are worthy, as they are part of God's creation, and, and that God loves them just as much, watch, just as much as he loves me. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Now, let me, let me deal with this second part of the, of the verse here. Uh, the, the Word of God tells us that when people on, who call themselves believers are living immoral lifestyles, that the church has a responsibility to deal with that. Amen? That, that we should. We shouldn't just let it run rampant in the church when we know things are going on, that we have to deal with those issues, and we try to. We try to do it in love. We try to do it with compassion and restoration. But we also want to tell you, uh, if, if you're a member of this house and this is the place you call home and, and you begin to live in a manner that's, that's not a, up to what the Word of God says, somebody's going to talk to you. And, and we're going to hope that you, you are restored and put back in the place that God wants you to, but we're not going to just allow you to live any way that you you want to and call yourself a believer amen that's the way it ought to be but what the scripture says is for those who are outside it's not my point to judge all right so the second thing that we've got to communicate is that we've got to communicate to people our ethical code all right 
You, you need to let people know what your ethical code is. Now, I'm going to make a, a point here, and I want you to get it. We need to learn how to make a stand and not a judgment. Did you hear me? We need to learn how to make a stand and not a judgment. God never called you to judge. The best thing he called you to do was be a witness. He's the judge. But you can make a stand. Let me ask this question. How many of you have ever been pulled over by the police? Come on, I got mine up. Tell the truth. Don't lie in church. Wow, a bunch of heathens. Man, oh man. To pray for y'all. How many of you know that the, the policeman is not in the judgment business? The policeman is making a stand. Think about it. He makes a stand. The law says 55 miles an hour. He's making a stand. Here's the stand. You were going 73 in a 55. Here's your ticket. Right? The last ticket I got, that was it. About nine years ago. He didn't care who I was. He didn't care where I was going. He just made a stand. This is what the law says. Appear in court certain, certain day. I walked into court, sat down. There was a bunch of people in there. And I'm thinking, oh, great. All of a sudden, when the judge, you know, everybody stand, judge comes in, I look up, and I recognize the judge. The judge and I went to school together. We were friends. We ran around together. The state trooper's there. He made a stand. They call me to the front. The judge looks at me and starts grinning. And he says, you're going a little fast, weren't you? And I said, I was. He looked at the state trooper and he said, I'm dismissing this one. The state trooper wasn't happy. But it didn't matter because the judge had the final say. He showed me grace when I deserved justice. God has called us to make a stand, and all we can do is make a stand. And so when the world tries to make a stand that's antithesis to the Word of God, we make a stand. We make a stand in the kingdom of God. We, we've got a lot of things happening right now in, in our court system with gay marriage and all this stuff. The church has only one responsibility, and that responsibility is to make a stand. The Word of God says, now I'm not going to take it outside, but the Word of God says that the only sexual relation that's approved by God is in marriage, and it's a man and a woman. That's what the Word of God says, and I take a stand. Now, no, no, wait a minute. I take a stand in that, not in judgmentalism, but this is what God's Word says. I take the same stand in people who are committing adultery. I take the same stand in people who are shacking up. I take the same stand in any kind of sexual promiscuity that's outside of what the Word of God says. But I don't do that in a horrific, angry manner. I just say, this is what God's Word says. I'm going to preach that to you. I'm going to leave that up to you. And then you and the Lord are going to have to deal with what His Word says. You know what? If the church would do that, we would win a lot more people. Instead of being so angry and so horrible in our attitude, listen, don't make a judgment. 
make a stand. Now, a lot of times, our, what the problem is, is that people are looking at our lifestyle. And, and our lifestyle in the church sometimes doesn't match our lifestyle in the world. I'm going to say something and get in so much trouble for saying it. Isn't it interesting that the church takes such a strong stand against homosexuality, and yet we know that pornography is rampant in the church, and one of, I'm going to go there, one of the primary parts of pornography is lesbianism, and, and men are watching it by the hundreds of thousands in the church, and yet the church wants to make a stand, but they don't make a stand against the other. Wow, it gets quiet. So you've got to be consistent in your stand. So that's why the only stand I can make is what the Word of God makes. And if the Word of God says it, then I have to stand there, and then I have to walk out to the best of my ability what God says. Boy, I'm in trouble. Here's what I want to tell you. Sometimes our lifestyles speak so loudly nobody can hear our words. And so I've got to communicate to people this. And here it is, and hear me carefully. I can accept you without approving of you. I can accept you because God accepts you. But God will also look at you and say, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Thirdly, aren't you glad I'm moving? Look at verse 13. But those who are outside God judges, therefore put away from yourselves the evil person. The third thing that we have to communicate this morning is we have to communicate our faith. Pastor, why is it important to communicate my faith? Because there really is a heaven and there really is a hell. There really is an eternity that people are going to spend one place or the other. And so I cannot come to church week in and week out and get in the holy huddle and feel so good because we're all here and we all love Jesus and then walk back out the next six days of the week and never ever share my faith with anybody. It's needful for us to understand that eternity is a long time. And when you begin to look in the light of eternity and you begin to look at what eternal punishment is going to be, that place we call hell, there's nobody that understands the grace of God that would want anybody to go there. The, the, you, you, you pick the, the worst criminals, you pick the worst offenders, you pick whatever it may be in this world, and you would not want them to spend an eternity in hell. Because it is a horrible picture when you begin to study what hell really is going to be like. The Bible says it's a place of eternal punishment. It's a place where people are going to live forever in torture. And when I look at that, and, and, and I, I've prayed probably an unbiblical prayer lately, and, and you can judge me for it if you want to, although I did tell you you weren't supposed to be doing that. 
I've, I've literally, as, as I've kind of been thinking about this whole process today, I've literally been saying, God, if there's any way, and I'm not calling for a restitution of all things, but maybe I am. God, if there's any way that people don't have to spend an eternity in hell, please don't let people spend an eternity in hell. Now, that may sound like a crazy thought, but when I get to thinking about even one person spending eternity without God, it, it, it messes with me. I can't imagine what that's like. And so we can't, as the body of Christ, just go through life and, and be thankful that we're saved and maybe our family's saved and those close to us are saved, and yet we encounter people on a daily basis who don't know Jesus Christ. And we don't take time to share Jesus with them. We've got to communicate our faith to others. And we communicate our faith in so many ways, and one of the least ways that we do it is by what we say. The greatest way that we do it is by how we live. Thank you for tuning in today. Please join Pastor Couples next week for another message designed to help you successfully live the Spirit-empowered life. Please log on to our website at www.loveandtruthchurch.com or visit us in person on Oilwell Road in Jackson. And remember, God wants you to lead a Spirit-empowered life.